Take your Bibles this morning and go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Richard mentioned that earlier. Um, go ahead and open your Bibles up there uh, now, and we're going to kind of take off there in just a couple minutes. We begin a new series today entitled Genius. Genius. Uh, and contrary to popular opinion, I haven't been talking about most of you. Somebody, everybody came in and said, I heard about the Genius series. You're talking about me today, right? No, I'm not. But do have something for you today because we are going to expand your horizons. This is bonus material, right? This is stuff that if you ever win on Jeopardy, just make sure you tithe. How many of you heard the phrases, two peas in a pod? Two peas in a pod. Heard that? Okay. Question for you. Here you go. Your choices are this. How many peas on the average, according to the National Research Institute, are there in a pod? Is it two? Show of hands. How many think there's two peas in a pod? Actually, we say it all the time. Show of hands. Okay, three peas in a pod. See a hand in the back, see them in the balconies. Five. Uh, see five. Eight. According to the National Research Institute, the average is eight peas in a pod. Now, Richard just came over to the Francisco and said on Wikipedia, it says five. Um, but the National Research Institute gets their information all of their research from Uncle John's Bathroom Reader. So it has to be right. <laughs> and so, uh, eight peas in a pod. But here's what we do know. When you ever say, hey, we're just like two peas in a pod. It ain't a healthy pea, is it? <laughs> and now you know that. Don't say that anymore. Lose that from your vocabulary. Here's another question for you to noodle on uh, while I'm talking. Because in a few minutes I'm going to get boring and you're going to need something to think about. Think about this. What is heavy forward but not backward? Think about that. Ponder that. Dwell on that, if you will. Allow that to expand your mind as we talk about being a genius and what that means. Okay? Ponder that. But while you're pondering, go ahead and open up your Bibles. Because today, as we begin our genius series, we're going to talk about heavenly inspiration and human perspiration. I want you to know this is kind of an introductory look at the topic uh, I've been working on this, um, I said earlier, since last year, which of course is easy since it's only the second week of the year, but months ago, started kind of pondering through this subject, uh, thinking about it. I had never heard a sermon series on it before, uh, and so I kind of want to take you through the motions with me as to how we got to this place, and then t take a look at, at a passage of scripture that you're probably familiar with. But it becomes very important as we look and, and kind of dive into what we're talking about. And so, if you have your Bibles open, it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. I am uh, a person who stands before you, and I believe that greatness inspires greatness. I, I believe, uh, with all of my heart, that we uh, stand on the shoulders of others as we try to become and be what we are created to be. And I think it works that way in almost every area uh, of life. For example, um, I contend there never would have been a Michael Jordan had there not been a Dr. J. Julius Irving. And if you're old enough in the room to remember those days, and Dr. J. was spectacular. He did things at that time that no one else had done, which really 
uh, inspired in so many ways and, and then allow Michael Jordan to take that to a level beyond um, greatness, inspiring greatness. Um, would there ever have been a Stephen Hawking without Albert Einstein? Would there ever have been an Elon Musk uh, without a Nikola Tesla? Greatness inspires greatness, which drove me to the question that I had never asked myself before. Is it possible that genius provokes genius? Is it possible that genius provokes genius? Uh, I, I have geniuses on the board over here. Um, and there have been a lot of geniuses throughout history. You can uh, Wikipedia, you can uh, Google, you can look up a number of different places where you can find geniuses throughout history. Um, most of the list will include Copernicus, Galileo, uh, Da Vinci there at the top. He had a bad night, but he, uh, <laughs> he was ultimately, he was the Renaissance man. His, his genius touched every field, nearly every field of human endeavor. He was an inventor, an artist, a sculptor, architect, scientist, musician, mathematician, engineer, botanist, astronomer. He, in his drawings, foreshadowed the invention years before it was going to happen, of the helicopter, and also the submarine. And although he only completed 15 paintings in his lifetime, he's considered one of the greatest painters in the history of the world. Only 15 paintings. Underachiever, wasn't he? Da Vinci. Uh, Mozart and Beethoven somehow figured out how to use the same 12 notes to generate beauty and complexity and music that lives on to this day with artistry. Uh, you know what Edison did. Uh, we even talked about him uh, not too long ago. Um, there are names like Henry Ford that we mentioned, like Stephen Hawking. Uh, in the world of film, Orson Welles. Alfred Hitchcock, Sylvester Stallone stand as greats among storytellers. If you're old enough in the room, you remember that chess was revolutionized by a man by the name of Bobby Fischer. No doubt about it. That smack on a genius. Weird as the wind. But a genius, nonetheless. And technology, jobs, gates, and even though he told me not to mention his name this morning, Pilot. Somehow, some way, uh, these individuals helped us to formulate and see the world differently. They created a future that wouldn't have existed without them. So let me give you a definition, a working de definition, if you will, of the, what is a true genius. Simplified is a person that makes the impossible possible. The unknowable, knowable, and the invisible, visible. A genius may not have the highest IQ. See, in our culture, we say if you have an IQ over a certain number, you are a genius. But I've known some geniuses who are dumber than post. And so we're not talking about that. What other people play with that standard. They may not have the highest education. Uh, they may not have the most comprehensive knowledge even in their field. But the combination that they have of originality, of imagination, of creativity, of uh, perspective and passion and intelligence, when they merge together, 
helps them to see the world differently and as a result, change the world with their work. And so with that in mind, if that is our working definition of genius, uh, and as I was kind of pondering it and thinking about it, there are four marks of a genius that I want to show you. That is not in your wor worship flyers, not, not on the app anywhere. And so if you are a note taker, you want to write these down. These are the marks of a genius. There are four things. Now, when you read the words up there, you may think, ah, I don't think that's quite right. It is. Hold on. Uh, let me explain it to you. If you were to take any genius, you would find out that one of the marks of that genius is they are heretical. In other words, by definition, they violate the status quo and challenge the beliefs of the day. That makes them heretical. They also are original. In other words, they have the ability to see the world in a different way and from a different perspective. They are transformative in their arena. In other words, their life becomes a marker, if you will. There's the world before this person lived, and then there's a world after this person lived. And the impact of their life has transformed the world. And so there is a, a shift that takes place after this person comes and does what they do as a genius. And then they are also extremists. Now, we hear that in a bad phrase, but by definition, extremism is someone who is passionate and consumed with doing what they were created to do. So they're extreme. And those are the marks of a genius. Those four things help make up a genius. Historically, you might be interested to know that the concept of a genius, the, the term, the thinking of a genius, was invented by the Greeks and the Romans about the time that Jesus walked the face of the earth. By the Greek and Roman definition of genius, they determined that genius was when the divine consumed and surpassed the human. Isn't that interesting? When the divine literally consumes, transforms, changes, and surpasses the human, that person is then a genius. And usually, if you type in list of great geniuses, you'll get a lot of the same names that show up and over and over again. However, the question that kept bothering me is, how is it that Jesus of Nazareth, who single-handedly changed the course of all human history, does not get a mention among the greatest minds of history? How is it that Jesus of Nazareth is not listed among the all-time great geniuses of history? I mean, how can the genius of Jesus be overlooked? Now, let me answer that question um, before arguments break out. People tend to either believe that you must embrace him as God or you must ignore and discount him altogether. And that's the answer to the question, which is dumb, which is why no genius ever would say that. Because here's why. If you're a person who doesn't believe that Jesus is God, Okay, let's say you're not a person who believes in the, in the deity of Christ, Jesus isn't God, then it would seem impossible to deny him as a genius. Because how else can you explain the impact and influence of one person in all of human history? Um, for goodness sakes, we just spent over three months celebrating his birth. And so if you're a person who at the end of the day says, I, I can't believe in Jesus being God, okay. But you do have to say he's a genius, right? Because his life has changed everything. For them not to say that is dumb. 
Or if you're a follower of Christ, and I say to you, was Jesus a genius? You'll say, well, of course he was. Because what else would you expect God to be? And so if you believe him, if you follow him, if you've trusted him as your savior, then that statement, um, you would expect that kind of impact on all of human history. Yet, you can spend all day playing around on the internet, Googling and looking for lists of geniuses, and very rarely will you find the name of Jesus listed. Genius as a rule, by the way, is not transferable. I mean, I could spend, if I could go back in time, all day with Mozart, and I would never be a great composer. It's just not going to happen. I can tell you right now. I have trouble playing the kazoo. I could spend my life with Picasso and still never understand his paintings. I can't understand why an ear would be where the chin goes. I can't understand why a nose would be where your forehead goes. It just makes no sense to me. I could spend all day with Picasso, and I could never be a great painter. But with Jesus, the genius of his genius is that it's reversed. His genius is contagious. And when you align your life with Jesus, and you take your heart and you give it to him, transformation begins to take place, and you begin to live your life as Jesus would. How do I know? Well, I've seen people who have been reckless in relationships all of a sudden come to know Jesus, and they begin to value others more than they do themselves. I've seen people who have lived a lifetime of arrogance, but because of Jesus, all of a sudden choose to define their lives by strength of humility, and the perspective changes. I've seen people of significant wealth driven by want and greed, but because of Jesus, all of a sudden they live a life that's flowing with generosity and giving to others, and they can't give enough. And I've seen people whose worlds are dark and selfish and depressing and angry, but because of Jesus, open their eyes to hope and possibility and wonder. That's the work of a genius. That kind of work can only be done by a genius. It is simple. It is wildly complex. Because even when Jesus healed somebody, it had a deeper meaning. He was never showing off, but he was trying to change and shape the way that we see reality. What happens? You see in Scripture, he heals a blind man. And what does he do in that moment? He changes and takes that miracle of healing a blind man and talks about our own blindness so we can see the world differently. He takes what he does, and all of a sudden, he uses it to, so we can change our lives and see with perspective that we never had before. He wraps the metaphor in the miraculous. He does things that gets our attention in such a way that we will look at the world forever differently because of what he done. And in the end, at the end of his life, he was not crucified for the miracles he performed. He was crucified for being a genius. He was crucified because he violated the way that people saw God, the way they saw Scripture, the way they saw themselves, and the way they would see the world around them. And so they nailed him to a cross to extinguish that genius. It leads me to conclude that Jesus, without argument, and I would argue this with you, stands alone by himself as the all-time greatest genius in the history of the world. And yet, he's not mentioned on any of the list. If we let Jesus change our mind, he awakens a genius in each one of us. Look at the person next to you and go, you know, you might be a genius. Tell him. 
I know it's a stretch. Now, here's what you need to know. He ain't, he ain't going to make you great at physics. He's not going to make you a great musician overnight. But he will give you new eyes to see the beauty of the world and see wonder all around you. He will make you a lightning rod for the good, the beautiful, and the truth. He will awaken within you the desire to be fully alive. And I dare to say that the genius of the Jesus is what unlocks the genius in all of us because he's the one that placed it there to begin with. So in summary, the genius of Jesus is that he teaches us to become human again. See, if you're trying to live your life without him, you're living a subhuman lifestyle. It is the genius of Jesus that allows us to become what we were created to be. And so in the case of Jesus, unlike any other genius in the history of the world, his genius is transferable. You take a look at his life. He confronted the use of God's name being taken in vain or organized religion used as a mean to, uh, to marginalize the powerless or manipulate the poor. He summarized 613 Jewish laws into one commandment, love God and love others. He established the fact that, that leadership was about servanthood and that servants and being a servant was the only way to become great. And he began working and the idea always revolved around the condition of the human heart. And in all the struggles that we have, most of the time we discover that it holds true for us time and time again we have seen the enemy and the biggest enemy is us. And we keep getting in our way of becoming what we were supposed to be. And so the genius of Jesus is transferable. Because when you look at scripture, you discover something that is exciting and horribly alarming at the same time. Especially when we deal with this topic. Because when you take a look at scripture and you're honest about scripture, you discover that he wants to change you from the inside out and make you more like him. And so, if Jesus is indeed the greatest genius ever to walk the face of this planet, and you're called to live more like him, he's called you to be a genius. Go figure that. You sure are smarter than you were when you came in here, aren't you? I mean, most of you are just walking away going, wow, I know how many peas are in a pod now. I mean, you didn't know that before you got here. But now, the audacity, you might be called to be a genius. How crazy is that. And so that long introduction brings us to four main points that will come much quicker, but the idea here is to get you to start thinking about your world and your life differently. And to go back and start looking at what Scripture teaches us so that we might discover and unlock that genius that is within us. In other words, learning to become human again. Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Big topic. Uh, we can't unpack all of that today. We'll look at a lot of this with our adults during midweek in this upcoming rotation. But Paul is writing here, he says, if you want to change, renew your mind. Think new thoughts. Well, the challenge here then is to go back and do the first part of it. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, stop thinking like the world thinks. Well, what does the world think? Well, the world thinks, for starters, that this is all there is. That our material, physical existence is all that we can expect. This is as good as it's going to be. And that's what the world thinks. 
It also says that the hope of the future is dependent on our economic prosperity and our political situation and what's happening in the circumstances around my life. That's what the world thinks. That's what the people you meet every day in the place you go. That's how they view the world. The world also says that the definition of right or wrong changes from age to age. That right or wrong, good and bad, can be defined by the people who have the loudest voices or the majority of votes. And that truth is, is on a sliding scale and can always be negotiated. And the world also says that everything out there revolves around you. That your job is to look out for your own interest above everybody else. That your, your perspective on how you view the world has always got to be right. And that God really wants everything to come through you first. And that's what the world would teach you about God, which is bad theology. If you view the world like the world does, that's ridiculous. If you view the world through the lens that God gives us, you've taken your first step toward hinging your life on genius. And so when you looked at that person that's next to you and said, yeah, you know, you might be a genius. They might be if they will start taking their lives and doing something with their lives that is different than they might normally do on their own. Let me give you a quick test. This is just a self-test. We're not giving you a grade. Um, you get no points for this. But it's simply this, and it's a moment for you to be honest once again. If you have a line of thinking going on in your head that leads to hopelessness, despair, and anger, here's what I can tell you. At the risk of being offensive, it is not of God not of God. However, if you have a line of thought going on in your head that leads you to a greater understanding about the love and the mercy and the forgiveness and the power and the majesty of God than it is from Him. In other words, you're either thinking God thoughts or your own thoughts. And here's what I know about you because I know it about me. My own thoughts are not genius thoughts. Because you on your best day, you ain't so bright. But either am I. And so we stand on the edge of a new year where we look forward and we think about all that God wants to do with you as an individual, with me as an individual, with us as a group of people, of where he wants to take us. And we have to decide, are we going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind? And what does that look like? So let me kind of plow through these four things for you and see if I can jumpstart your thinking just a little bit. Uh, but before I do, let's come back to this. What is heavy forward, but not backwards? What is heavy forward, but not backwards? The answer, a ton. A ton. T-O-N. Heavy forward, T-O-N. Heavy forward, but the answer's in the question, but not backwards. Not. What an amazing day in Winter Springs. Brilliant. The problem we have with a question like that is to get the answer, you almost got to think differently. Most of you have been out there trying to figure out what's heavy, but not this way. And you've been noodling on that, and your noodling gets you nowhere because you can't get to the right answer. It's much simpler than that. See, most of us have a problem with God, and while that's silly, this is serious. 
most of us have a problem with God because God don't think like we think. But we want God to think that way because we make God in our own image. We invert scripture. We know it says that we were made in his image, but we spend all of our lives trying to make God do what we want him to. Because if we love God, and we do, then God ought to be doing it this way. And we try to push the world forward through that lens time and time and time again. And we get so upset and so frustrated and so angry when it just doesn't happen. And we get mad at everybody around us because they won't do it our way. And we think our way is God's way. Need to pick up your feet. Did I step on your toes at all? Uh, and, 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 and for us as people, we can move beyond that. And here's four things that you need to remember uh, that will help you. First, real genius thinks spiritual, not material. Real genius thinks spiritual, not material. Verse 1, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, think spiritual thoughts, not material thoughts. There's a difference, by the way, between being moral and spiritual. Moral is good, no doubt about it. But spiritual is different than moral. If you can live the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, you're being moral. But when you start taking a look at that transformational relationship that Jesus has in our lives, we begin to see all of life differently, not as a set of rules that we have to keep, an ongoing, ever-evolving, ever-changing way that we're looking at dealing with the people around us. And so if you're a note-taker, let me encourage you to do this. This is important. Write this down. You need to see or begin to see your life as a spiritual event. You need to see your very existence as a spiritual event. See, we live in a world that's so consumer-driven that if I buy a ticket to an event, I go to my event. It's a transaction, right? I pay my money. I want my ticket because I want to see this thing. I want to be going to the event. And so we go to the event. Here's what I'm telling you, and this is true. When you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're taking the event to the places you go. You're an event all to yourself. You need to start seeing your life as a spiritual event. And you say, I don't see my life that way. Change your thinking. Because your life is a spiritual event. And when you start seeing it that way, you'll find out that your success comes when you're being that person that God created you to be and you start looking at your life with every desire to try to be just that thing. Second thing I want you to see out of the passage is that a real genius thinks optimistically, not pessimistically. A real genius thinks optimistically, not pessimistically. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. We're back to how the world thinks again. I'm saying to you, think positive thoughts, not negative thoughts. Now, listen to me very carefully here. This is not about the power of positive thinking. It's about biblical thinking. It's about biblical thinking. Because not all positive thinking is biblical. But all biblical thinking is positive. Do you hear that? Not all positive thinking is biblical. But all biblical thinking is positive. Why? Because when God is involved, the outcome is always good. Even if the process is painful. Even if there's struggle. 
even if there's heartache, even if it seems hard or there's a time of trial, the ultimate outcome is always good. And if you find yourself all the time buried in thoughts of hopelessness, despair, and anger, you're not thinking biblically. You're not thinking. If you're consumed with how bad the world is or how bad your situation is or how bad things are going for you and you become so consumed and focused on that because you realize uh, just what, how rotten things really are, you're doomed. But those ideas don't come from God. And if you're a follower, no matter what situation you're in, you get to think positively because you know the outcome. How do I know? Read the book. When you get to Revelation, we win. God wins. And if you're his child, he's going to get you there from here. And so you have no reason to think pessimistically. And you've got to break the pattern of negative thinking. How do I know? Philippians 4.8 says this. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, and whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, for people who just dismiss positive thinking, and if you're one of those people who uh, like to walk around with an umbrella up over your head, and you hate being around an optimist, you go, ah, positive thinking, no, you just got to see the world realistically. No, 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 you need to see the world biblically. And here's what you read. We have a biblical command, you just heard it, to think positive, good, uplifting thoughts. Nowhere in Scripture, and I looked all week for this, nowhere does it say, think about negative stuff. If anything is bad, corrupt, miserable, hopeless, futile, mad, selfish, or angry, dwell on these things. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere in the book. I have looked. It is not there. And so hear me very carefully, and I'm going to say this at the risk of offending you. If you think that way, it's not of God. Keep those cards and letters coming. The Bible tells you to think this way because it improves your life. You make a conscious choice to think good thoughts. Instead of thinking about how miserable your job is or what a heel your boss is, think about how the fact that you have a job to go to and you can use that little bit of money that you make. And sure, should you make more? Yeah, of course you should. But the little bit you get, you're going to be able to do this and do this and do this. And you're going to get to influence the people that you work with and you get to meet people you've never seen before. And you've got a place to go uh, when you get up in the morning. Even if your boss is a jerk, those are good things. You could focus on the fact that your boss is a jerk. But that means you miss out on all the good stuff that does happen. See, the Bible never tells us to think about negative things. Isn't it interesting, though, it tells us to think about positive things. And why does it tell us to think about positive things? Because you have to make a choice. And here's what you also can deduce from that. You have to work at it. In other words, if you are Debbie Downer, hopefully there's no Debbie Downers in the room, but if you are Debbie Downer, and that's really your name, I'm sorry, but if your name is Debbie Downer, <laughs> and you think that way, you've made the choice to start doing that. And what's happened is you've just gotten better at it as you've gotten older. And you keep doing it, and you keep doing it, you keep doing it, you keep doing it, keep doing it, and that's where you've ended up. You are a Debbie Downer. You're the real deal. However, how you got there was not a godly way. 
Because what you did to get there is you went across and cut across the things that Scripture says to think about, says to talk about, says to do to get where you are. And the craziness of it is, and here's how you know you really whacked out, you're proud of the fact you're a Debbie Downer. Or a Darren Downer. Don't want to offend. And so you've got to decide... Then it takes effort, and when you make the effort, you know what happens? You please your creator, and because he's a genius, you know what he's going to do? He's going to bless you. <laughs> it doesn't have to do with the power of positive thinking. It has to do with biblical thinking. And when you think biblically, you will look at the world as an optimist, not a pessimist, and know that God is at work wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Genius. Third thing, a real genius thinks in hope and not despair. Look at verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible talks about hope. And this verse gives us permission to look at the world through a hopeful lens. See, the simple truth is that you have absolutely zero idea why God is doing what he's doing. You don't know. I don't either. You ever shrug sometimes and go, I don't, I don't get it. Nope, you don't. And here's what I can predict for you tomorrow because I'm a prophet. You won't get it tomorrow either. Because we don't understand what he's doing. We want to. We wish God would give us a daily briefing. He does. In his word, most of us, we don't read it. But. When we take the time and understand that since God knows what's going on, you have to simply decide, do I trust the fact that he's in control or am I going to live my life like he's not in control? And see, when we get frustrated, when we don't understand, it's because we are doubting in that moment that God really is in control and knows what's best. Because if God loves you, and he does, and if God died for you, and he did, and if he saved you, which he did, and he wrote the script of your life, which he did, then here's what you can decide. You're either going to go with him, or you're going to try to make it up and figure it out on your own. One is dumb. One is genius. And you get the opportunity to decide how you choose to live. Look back at the verse 2 real quick. You've got to see this. The word renewing there, by the renewing of your mind, the Greek word for renew means to resume an original position after an interruption. To assume or resume the original position after an interruption. What was the interruption? Sin. The broken world that we lived in. And so when... The call here is to transform by the renewing of your mind. It is to take your mind and rewire it and allow Jesus' identity to become your default. And Jesus came so that he might move you back to your original position so you don't have to live the life that you always have lived without him. Pretty cool stuff. And when you apply this, you begin to discover that you can live with hope and not despair. And the last thing is a real genius thinks about the eternal, not the temporary. A real genius thinks about the eternal, not the temporary. Look at verse 2. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
you have to think eternity, not temporary. Colossians 3.2 says it this way. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You are created on this grand timeline for a very small, little bitty piece of all human history. And so if this is all there is, then you've even wasted your hour today. You could have been doing other things. You should have been doing other things. Ah, but if there's more to it than that, then you're in the perfect spot. Because this is a moment where you're going to learn something different about history. I, I remember years ago, uh, Mom, you maybe remember what the circumstance was. I, I was upset about something. And my father, in his infinite wisdom, sat at the dining room table one night and looked at me and said, Jeff, is this going to matter in 25 years? Well, why would you throw water on my rant with a question like that? And so my answer begrudgingly was, well, no. He just went right back to eating. I don't even remember what was over. But I remember to this day sitting there thinking, you know, he's right. And I probably should have told him that. <laughs> Sometime later when I got older, uh, I'll tell him one day. But as a follower, you get the opportunity to think even beyond that. Is what's bothering you right now going to matter 25,000 years from now? Because, see, you don't see your life like you ought to see your life. You're making investments for eternity. They're going to live on way beyond you. And geniuses start seeing that and understand that. Because there is something about our lives that becomes radically different when we start thinking about and trying to live out and flesh out in our lives things that matter, that really matter. Most of you this week have seen somewhere on the news, whether you're a sports fan or not, um, the clip of and what happened in the Buffalo-Cincinnati game about a week ago. Damar Hamlin is still in critical condition, but he is talking and he is doing better. And that is miraculous. And millions and millions of people have been praying for him, his family. Um, right after it happened, and you may have seen this clip by now too, and if not, go back and find it. One person captured this moment, I think, better than anybody else. It was ESPN's Dan Orlovis. I'll get it right. Olavsky, right? Olavsky? That's right, Olavsky on um, ESPN's NFL Live. He led a global television audience in prayer. Unheard of, unprecedented. He said this, and I quote, I heard the Buffalo Bills organization says that they believe in prayer, and maybe this is not the right thing to do right now, but it's just on my heart to pray for DeMar Hamlin right now. I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. And he bowed his head. He closed his eyes. And he said, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand. They're hard, but we believe that you're God. And coming to you in prayer is something that has impact. We're sad. We're angry. We want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly, to come to you and pray for the strength of DeMar, for healing for DeMar, for the comfort for DeMar, be with his family and give them peace. 
If we didn't believe that prayer would work, we wouldn't ask you this, God. I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Demar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. That was on ESPN, NFL Live. I want you to know as I saw that, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that is the only thing that ESPN has gotten right in the past year. <laughs> that low-budget television channel that tries to get involved in politics all the time and tries to take a focus away from what it is finally got something right, or at least Dan did in that moment. And all the dunderheads that talk about, ah, don't send your thoughts and prayers, do something more practical. Really? Really? We're faced with a moment where they had to understand something that that night on ESPN they got right. That football is a game and it's only temporary. As a matter of fact, there's games going on even today. Football hasn't changed. Football is temporary. But a human life is not. And that means your life is not temporary and your life counts and your life matters. With all the noise and all the clutter that goes on out there, the genius of Jesus comes along and says, you can change. But changing isn't easy, by the way. And this is when we come back to what's going to happen in midweek. We're going to talk about change. Because change is hard work. Henry Ford said one time, thinking is the hardest work there is, which is probably why so nobody does it. But instead of conforming your thoughts to the world around you, decide that you're going to trust God for how you think. Where you are today is where your thoughts have brought you. But a year from now, you can be where the thoughts of God take you. And that's your choice. God will inspire. We have to choose to do the work. And we discover that God is changing us. So let me give you a now what. Your now what is a think test. Three questions that you can wrestle with as much or as little as you want to this week. If you want to start getting this right, you want to start living as a genius, this is a good place to start. If you don't want to and you just want to go on with your own self, go on with your own self. Do what you got to do. Up to you. First question, especially when the, mo when the emotions get tough. Am I allowing my emotions to drive my thinking? Because the minute that you start letting your emotions drive your thinking, you're going to find yourself in a very uncomfortable spot. Second question. Am I allowing my circumstances to drive my thinking? Because you can do very little about your circumstances. Getting upset doesn't cut it sometimes. Sometimes you just have to work the problem. But the third question, am I allowing God to drive my thinking? And if the answer to the first two questions isn't God, then you need to get that third question pretty quick. And you can wrestle and you can beat on that and you can play with that and you can make sure that that's going on in your life because when you do, you've then taken that first step toward becoming human again and changing your life. Let's pray together. God, Our worlds are wildly complicated, incredibly busy, always changing. And sometimes they do get out of control. But here we are, 
looking at a topic that we don't normally think about when it comes to our study, our worship, uh, looking at your word. Maybe we ought to be there more often. But we're not. We don't do that. Because sometimes it doesn't, um, just doesn't dawn on us. That at Christmas we celebrate your humanity, and yet sometimes we're so hesitant to look at how you changed us as humans and make us human again. The impact of the incarnation as we move into a new year is huge. And so God, once again, we come face-to-face with moments where we have to decide what it is we're going to be and how we're going to live. Well, my hope, my prayer for each person in this room is that we would be the people that we were created to be. That you would, as only you can do, unlock the genius within us. And help us to start seeing and thinking and living in the world differently. Lord, there are some who've never made the decision to believe and trust and follow you. And this would be the best day to do that. If they're here in this room, before they leave this morning, they can say, I want to accept Jesus as Savior. Drop us a note in the giving kiosk on the way out the door. Give us a chance to talk with them about that. If they're watching online, they can stop the feed and email us. And say, this is the decision I want to make. It will change everything. And it will be the first step toward putting us back and renewing our minds and allowing us to go back to that position that you created us for. Lord, others in this room, we have to battle. We have to battle ourselves. And we have to be willing to renew our mind, to think differently. And when we do, we might discover how amazing it is to see the world with a clarity we never had before. That's our prayer. Our hope for this day. In Jesus' name. Amen.